to join me in one of the saddest books in all the Bible. Its name even says so, the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. It's a familiar passage. We've looked at it many times, and it's going to serve as a springboard for our thought this morning. Jeremiah is in the midst of everything going wrong that could go wrong. His people have been besieged and taken into captivity. All of this is because they have willfully turned away from their creator God, Jehovah. They have refused to follow his law, and so now God is going to enforce a Sabbath rest upon the land. God's going to accomplish his will, whether you want him to or not. And... um. In addition to that, Jeremiah will be um, accused of being a spy for the Babylonians and thrown into jail, and they want to kill him and everything. I mean, this is is a bad situation. And when you read the book of Lamentations, my, my Bible reading took me through Lamentations a couple of weeks ago, and I confess to you, I didn't enjoy it. But right crammed in the middle of all of that discouragement are some of the most encouraging verses you're going to find in the Bible. Lamentations 3, verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. (laughs) Now, When things are going well, it's relatively easy to talk about how faithful God has been. But how about when all of it's just gone right in the trash can? When you feel like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. When you even feel like that maybe, just maybe, God has singled you out as an exception to his promise and has indeed forsaken you. It would have been very easy for Jeremiah to reach that conclusion. And I suspect there were times in his life where he did entertain that notion. And don't sit there all pious and act like you've never done it. But what a wonderful thing it is that in the midst of all this bad news, Jeremiah digs deep and finds that truth that he needs to keep going that ultimately is crowned in this wonderful truth. Great is thy faithfulness. I was riding down the road somewhere the other day, and uh, sometimes I'll put my phone on shuffle. I like to be surprised what's coming next. 
and I've got several songs by the Clark family. If you're familiar with the Clark family, they're out of a solid rock Baptist church up in New Jersey. Got a chance to meet several of them, tremendous people. And they were singing a song that was made popular by the, was it the Perrys, I think. Did I mention? And you might be familiar with the song. Did I mention that I love him? But there's a particular line in one of the in the in the in the course that that just never fails to grip me. Did I mention he's been faithful to every promise he's ever made me? He's been faithful. I haven't. I'm not about to confess some great sin that disqualifies me from ministry, but I will tell you, I've not been faithful to him. Many times I've not been faithful to you. If we understand what Jesus said in Matthew, I've not been faithful to my wife. But there's not been one second of my existence or life in the eternity, past or future, that God has been anything less than 100% faithful. And sometimes we need to just lean on that truth. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, our faithful God, our faithful God. Father, would you please help me to adequately express, I could never do so fully, but help me to adequately for our needs today express how faithful you've been. I'm not worthy to do what I do. I never have been, never will be. But it's what you've called me to do. And I ask that you'd bless your word, that you'd speak to hearts. Please forgive me for all the times I've not been faithful. And may Christ be lifted up and made much of today. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. It's a dangerous thing. I'm preaching without notes this morning. I'm scared and you should be too. Our faithful God. Can I tell you, first of all, he's been faithful to preserve. It's an amazing enough thing that I'm saved. But please understand that the God who saves you is also the God who keeps you. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God's grace saves me, but it is also the faithfulness of his grace that keeps me. It's a miracle that I'm saved, and can I tell you, it's equally miraculous that I'm still saved. Amen. But he's preserved me. He's kept me. We, we sing about this. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able, not me, he is able. And I wouldn't dare add to Scripture, but aren't you glad he's not just able, he's willing. (laughs) That he is able. 
to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I was saved not because of anything I did, but because of everything he's already done, and I'm still saved not because of anything I do, but because of everything he's done. Because he's been faithful. By human reasoning, God should have retracted my salvation and thrown me right straight into hell over and over again. But he didn't. You know why? Because he's faithful to preserve. I, I could slide another P in there. There probably should have been its own point. He's faithful to preserve because he's faithful to his promises. Everlasting life that has an end or can be taken away isn't very everlasting, is it? But I serve a God who's faithful to preserve. You know what else? Amen. He's been faithful to pardon. I tell you, friend, you offend me enough times at some point, I'm going to give up on you. I've been offending him for 47 years. And he's been faithful to pardon every time. If we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful. And just to forgive us our sins. Well, does he really mean all sins? Sins are sins, y'all. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've looked at verse 1 of chapter 2 many times regarding God's ideal and our real and Christ who heals. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. That's what he wants. And if any man sin, it's interesting he used and and not but. But would mean eh, maybe. And says it's going to happen. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I love that word propitiation. You understand that there's a copy of the Old Testament in Greek called the Septuagint. Because there were some people that wanted to read the Old Testament that couldn't read Hebrew, but they could read Greek. So they translated it from Hebrew to Greek. They called it the Septuagint. And if you look at the Greek word that was chosen... to mirror the word that we see as propitiation in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Greek word is translated mercy seat. He's the mercy seat. Now, what's the mercy seat? (laughs) Will you all give me a minute just to get professorial on you? The Ark of the Covenant made of a wood called Shittim wood, 
covered in gold. Which, by the way, is a picture of Christ. His dual nature. 100% God, 100% man. The hypostatic union. But on top of that, there was a lid, a solid gold lid called the mercy seat. And on that mercy seat were two cherubs. Cherubs were funny-looking creatures. They had four faces. They had the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of a man, the face of an eagle. You say, what in the world is that all about? Well, there's four Gospels. Matthew presents Christ as the king. And what's the most kingly animal? The lion. Mark presents him as the suffering servant. What's a beast of burden? An ox. Luke presents him as the son of man, his favorite title for himself. I think he used it 81 times. The face of a man. And John presents him as the son of God. Eagles were considered to be majestic and even divine as they could soar higher in the heavens than anything else. The four Gospels present the four perspectives of Christ our Savior, and they were foreshadowed in the four faces of the cherubim. So what do you have in the mercy seat? You have Jesus. What was in the ark? The law. The law that condemns us, the law that with no argument possible says that we have come short of God's glory and thus deserve what we get. And God and his Shekinah glory dwelt between the cherubim over the mercy seat. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter in dressed only in a linen a linen robe, a linen ephod, and the only ornamentation he had was some little bells and pomegranates around the bottom that if it stopped ringing, it meant he was dead, drag him out. Got to be a little unsettling to go into somewhere with a rope tied around your ankle so they could pull you out in case you get killed. No hazmat suit or anything. And he would go in there on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and he would take the blood of that lamb and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. So when God would dwell between the cherubim, he would look down. He would not see the law that condemns us. He would only see the blood. But then we see in 1 John, it says Jesus is our propitiation. He's the mercy seat. So when God looks at me, He does not see the sinful, failing wretch that I so often am. All he sees is Jesus. And that's how he can pardon me over and over and over and over because I am bathed in the righteousness of his son. You see, my God is faithful to pardon. You know what else? He's been faithful in his presence. 
Paul tells us something that Jesus said at some point. The Gospels don't record it, but maybe he said it to Paul, but it's inspired, so we know it's so. It said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And he hasn't. He said that to the disciples before he left. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. How did he accomplish that? By indwelling us with his Holy Spirit. By the way, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to heaven, and I'm not worried about the tribulation at all. Because the Bible says that Holy Spirit leaves when the Antichrist comes on the scene. He leaves. And if he says he'll never leave me nor forsake me, then if the Holy Spirit leaves, I've got to go with him. That's right. So y'all let me know. Well, don't y'all. Y'all go up with me. But I guess somebody at some point will let us know who the Antichrist is because we don't want to be here to find out, do we? Let's just go on up. No, y'all don't do that. Y'all go with me. You're never alone. Boy, we feel alone sometimes, don't we? And sometimes we can even find ourselves physically alone. But you're never alone. Because he said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And he's been faithful to that, hasn't he? You know what else? Boy, he's been faithful to pity. I know in today's day of self-affirmation, we don't like to say these kind of things, but boy, we can be pitiful when we want to be, don't we? Just pitiful. You ever just seen somebody? Boy, they're just pitiful. That's just pitiful. Just pitiful. How often do you think God looks at us? <laughs> says, my soul. Boy, you're just pitiful. Pitiful. Charles Barkley would say, that's just terrible. That's terrible. Pitiful. <laughs> and yet it says, like as a father, pitieth his children. So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You know what the word pity actually means? A deep, plunging deep love. Think of all the messes your kids make. Holding my precious little babies when they were not yet potty trained in the messes they made. And yet I loved them deeply. My love for them never wavered. It never wavered when I would see what they had done and when my other senses took in what they had done. And my love never wavered when I handed them to their mother. (laughs) How many times has he looked at me and said, oh, son, look what you've done. Look at the mess you've made. But I still love you. Because he's faithful in his pity. Can I tell you, he's been faithful to produce. Look around. We, uh, we got some work to do in here. This carpet's needing some help. And the problem is we, we got to do, do work in here. 
that there's no way to do it in phases. We need to redo the choir loft. But to redo the choir loft, we need to redo the platform. And to redo the platform, we need to redo the floors. And if we're going to redo the floors, we don't want to just sit pews back on them. We need to put chairs on there that can be more useful and helpful. So whenever we do this, it's got to be all at once. And when the time is right, we'll do it. And people will give and all of that. But that being said, you compare this place to most other churches around here, this is opulent. God's been very good to us. I mean, I'm not complaining. Yeah, anytime, there's always maintenance that needs to be done and upkeep, but I'm going to tell you, God's given us a beautiful place to worship. Some people, some people just come in and say, wow, I love that woodwork. and Wow. I just love the way this is set up. and Wow, you got those monitors up there. and Wow, you might be the best-looking pastor I've ever met. And, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> okay. And a lot of giving has taken place over the years. A lot of people have given sacrificially. A lot of people have worked hard. We understand and concede all of that. But we must never, ever, ever forget that any production that happens in this place, be it physical, be it souls, any production that takes place at Fellowship Baptist Church is the Lord's doing. And it's because he's been faithful to produce. We would agree that Paul's top five greatest Christians ever to walk the planet, I think. And if you think anybody could produce anything, it'd be Paul. But what did he say? I've planted. Apollo's watered. But God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. When that family life center sits over there on the hill, it won't be, I thank God for people that give, and I thank God for all of that. And I I want you to know that that's not lost on me, and I'm so appreciative, but it will be the work of God. And he will get all the glory. When people are delivered from medical situations, we're so thankful for doctors and nurses and techniques and therapies and medicines. and We're thankful for all of that and all the advancements that are happening on a daily basis. But we must never forget that anything that is produced that is good from that is all God and his faithfulness. He's faithful to produce, isn't he? And he's been faithful to provide. (laughs) I have what I have because I worked hard and pulled myself up by my bootstraps. By the way, somebody explain to me what in the world that means. (laughs) How in the world do you pull yourself up by your bootstraps? I'm sure there's some kind of Western story that some guy's hanging off his horse and grabs his bootstrap, and I'm sure there's something like that. But I'm sitting in a chair, putting on boots, and I've never pulled myself up anywhere with my bootstraps. It just, I don't know how it works. But we say it all the time. Americans pull themselves up. No Americans sit around and wait for the government to give them something. That's what's happening these days. I'm sorry, Lord, rabbit trail. But anyway. Oh. 
I work hard and I advance myself. At my, you didn't advance yourself at anything. You got a job because God gave you a job and you got the ability to work that job because God gave you the ability to work that right. job and you get along with the people there because God helps you be somebody that people can get along with. We don't have any way of taking any credit for any of it. It is God who has provided everything. But my God shall supply how much? All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Everything that I have, I am thankful that I have a job. I am thankful that you give, that I might have a salary. I am thankful for all of those things. But I tell you, everything I have, I have because every good gift comes from the Father of lights. He's the one that gave it to me. He has provided everything I've ever needed and a whole lot of stuff I've wanted. Not everything I've wanted. There's a gun I got my eye on, Brother Davies. I don't have it yet, but God will provide. I'll tell you something else. David said this, I've been young, and now I'm old. Some of us can say that truthfully, and some of us feel it. I have been young and now feel old. But I can say this. And I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Why? Because he is ever merciful and lendeth. And his seed, that's us, is blessed. <laughs> Boy, he's been faithful to provide, hasn't he? And he's been faithful to prosper. He doesn't just provide, he prospers us. My soul, we got more than we deserve, don't we? Devil, you're not having this. Whew, scared me. First Timothy 6, verse 17, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us what? Richly. All things to enjoy. I don't just have everything I need, y'all. He's prospered me. Right now, I make more, and I have more than my dad ever dreamed of having. When I say that, he could probably dream quite a bit. It's God. God prospered us. He's been faithful to Pilate. If you let him steer, he never steers you wrong. We get into trouble when we stop letting him steer. You ever seen those bumper stickers? I hope none of you have one. I'm not trying to be mean, but God is my co-pilot. He better not be. He better be your pilot, and he better be the ship you're in. Co-pilot. He doesn't answer to you. We answer to him. And he's been faithful to pilot me, to steer me through everything. We talked about this the other day. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He will faithfully show you not just the steps to take. He'll show you the path because he's faithful. You say, well, how, how will I know he'll be with me on that path? Because he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's faithful in his presence. It all works together. I don't like this one, but he's been faithful to prune. 
What do you do when you prune something? You cut, you cut stuff off. You get rid of stuff that doesn't need to be there so that that plant can grow healthier and fuller. Every year around February, we prune our peach tree. doesn't matter. Japanese beetles still kill it. But if they don't get it, the frost does, you know, around here. Frost in like May. It's weird. But we prune. And sometimes God has to prune us, doesn't he? Sometimes God has to bring about things in our lives that are unlovely and even painful that we might be the better for it on the other side. Can I tell you, he's been faithful to prune me. One of the things that I point to when I struggle, because I do at times, I, I have seasons in my life where I'm like, ain't no way a saved person says that. Ain't no way a saved person thinks that. Ain't no way a saved person acts like that. I, I'm probably just a big fat fraud. But then one of the things that I can point to is God didn't let me get away with anything. God doesn't chasten people that don't belong to him. He doesn't prune sinners. Now, eventually there's a, there's a consequence, and it's a terrible one. But, but what does he say? Come on now. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. How many? Every. Well, I can just do what I want. Nothing bad ever happens to me. Then you ain't saved. But I'm going to tell you, when the Lord starts working on you, when you do do something wrong, you thank God for that. Thank God for that. The most miserable person in the world is not the rank sinner. The most miserable person in the world is the Christian that's gotten away from God because then he gets to whooping. He gets to pruning. And he's faithful. You know what else? He's been faithful to protect. Boy, we live in a world where we need protection, don't we? So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, have there been Christians that have suffered terribly for the cause of Christ? Yes. Well, God didn't protect them. Yes, he did. He protected them right into heaven. And God does allow negative things to come into our lives for his purposes but there is nothing that happens to you or me as a child of God that doesn't cross his desk first. Remember, the, the second most powerful being in the universe is Lucifer, Satan. And he had to ask God's permission to touch Job. You can't measure the gap between the Lord and Satan. Satan is no match for him. Now, he's more than a match for us. Well, I can take on Satan. I'm a child of God. No, you better remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. you got nothing for the devil. It's he who's in you that's taking care of things. I don't need to fear. I don't need to fear. There's that great old story of John, John R. Rice. Apparently he was somewhere and somebody. You never know if these stories are true, but you assume John R. Rice told the truth. Somebody come up to him, put a gun in his belly. Said, your money or you die. And supposedly, Dr. Rice said, are you threatening me with heaven? Messed the guy all up. He didn't know what to do with that. Now, I'm not saying I want to go on the next load. I'm not saying that I'm acting, Lord, just go ahead and take me today. <laughs> no. 
when it comes right down to it, he's going to protect us all the way to heaven, isn't he? Because he's faithful. And he'll be faithful to place us. Is there going to be a place for me one day? If you're a child of God, there is. And you can count on it because he's faithful. His disciples were struggling. They did not like where things seemed to be headed. Three times now Jesus has said that he would die and they'd be buried, and that he'd rise again. Three times he's talked about his sufferings, Three times, and, and they don't really get it, but they're starting to understand that this, we're, we're getting into some dangerous territory here. We're getting into some negative stuff here, and we don't like it. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and we're not so I would have told you. Look what he says. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Heaven waits for me, y'all. And it is not because I've been faithful. Heaven waits for me because he's been faithful. Amen. And there's a place for us. So what? All right, Andy. He's been faithful. I agree. So what am I supposed to do with that? What do, I, what do I do? How do I take that and ingest it and apply it? What do I do with that truth? God's been faithful. We serve a faithful God. So what? Okay. Now this is, this is going to be rough, y'all. It's already been rough on me. We're going to suffer through this together. You ready? But I want you to hear it, and I want you to think about it. Given how faithful God's been to us, how faithful have we even tried to be to him? Has he earned it? Is he right to expect our faithfulness? Yeah. So how are we doing? How are we doing reciprocating the faithfulness of our faithful God?